Want to create a breakthrough gene therapy or life-saving vaccine? Pioneer aerospace excellence? Take your hospitality tech brand international? Montgomery County, Maryland is where you can do all that and more. Use our ideal location next to D.C. Diverse world-class talent and our vast business resources to be the next company to make your mark and transform the world. Visit bnext.thinkmoco.com. That's bnext.thinkmoco.com to learn how we can help you create something remarkable. Montgomery County, Maryland is where businesses go to be next. Home to a highly skilled, diverse workforce, a thriving business community, competitive incentives, and more. MoCo will help transform your business. Visit bnext.thinkmoco.com to see how we can help you be next. Welcome to the Fantrax Prospect Toolshed. If you love prospects, you came to the right place, as that's what this show is all about covering all levels of the minors to help give you an advantage in your dynasty leagues. Now, here are your hosts, Eric Cross and Chris Clegg. All right, dynasty and prospect fanatics around the world, welcome to the Toolshed. This is episode 19 of the Fantrax Toolshed with Clegg and Cross, powered by Fantrax and FantraxHQ.com. I'm your host, Eric Cross. We have another great episode in store for you today, including our big announcement that we've been teasing for the last several days. But before we get to that, joining me as always is my marvelous co-host, the guy I call Matthew McConaughey Clegg. That's right, Mr. Chris Clegg from Fantrax HQ. What's up, buddy? Not much, man. If if you're listening and you caught on, like there was something different that you said at the beginning. And I like that. It's an exciting day. We have some exciting announcements, and I hope our listeners are as excited as we are about this. We are very excited. I don't know if they can match our level of excitement, but if they can get close, it'd be great because got a lot of big things here. First off, there's two kind of two things right now. Another couple of things in the works that we'll announce in the in the coming weeks, sometime in the month of March. The first one, if you caught, like, if, like Chris alluded to, if you caught on to my slightly different intro, we are expanding, let's say, a little bit here. We will still be primarily a prospects podcast. We still have plenty of prospect talks, so don't you worry there. But we're also going to be adding some non-prospect dynasty talking as well. There'll be no redraft talk except for our you know prospects to target and redraft league episodes that we just got done doing that we'll do every year. But it'll be no redraft, but we'll do some dynasty talk every week as well, um, along with plenty of prospect talk. So we're kind of expanding to you know, do that so we can get a little bit of a wider reach, bring on some more guests, uh, a lot of good stuff there. And in addition, we just started a Patreon that you can check out. We will have a lot of good – we'll still be doing our same thing on Twitter. You know, This isn't replacing our you know answering questions on Twitter. That will still be there. Always reach out to us. We we love ch- chatting baseball and you know prospects and dynasty with everybody. But this will be in addition to that. We offer a ton of good stuff there, including uh, customized rankings to fit more of your league style. We'll do some in-depth you know team and trade and draft analysis. You can send us your teams. We'll give you both in-depth analysis or your trade um, ideas you're running out there or your team post-draft stuff like that. Extra Patreon exclusive podcasts. That will probably be, you know, kind of listener based. Like, right, what do you want to hear? We'll do an extra pod about that. 
maybe it won't be an hour, but um, extra podcasts that will be only be available on our Patreon uh, and much more too. And you can find our Patreon at patreon.com slash Fantrax Toolshed. I'm very excited. Chris, I know you're excited as well, aren't you? Yeah, it's definitely exciting time for us. And we're looking forward to just connecting with more people. And that's what this is about. Like, you know, we've yep. connected with a lot of people on Twitter. It's, you know, we we love communicating with you that way. But it's just another way for us to get to know the community even better. Like we'll, we'll have a Discord channel that you'll be able to chat yep. with us, you know, one-on-one even, which would be good. Like we'll be able to give you like more in-depth like analysis because Twitter's kind of like limiting on, you know, how much you can put in a tweet and you don't want to blow up the feed with a, a 12 tweet thread, but we'll be able to give you in-depth analysis on your team, in-depth trade analysis. And we've got even something cool that we're looking at doing is we'll, we'll draft a team with you if you want to, like that'll be an awesome feature that we're looking forward to. Again, check that out, check out the tiers. Like we'd love for you to be a part of that at patreon.com slash fan toolshed. But yes, very exciting day for us. Yeah, that's really what it's all about. I think both Chris and I just try to gear the work we do, the content we put out to be as helpful as possible, both with these podcasts that we do and our written work over at FantexHQ.com. So this is just another element to add to that, to be more helpful. Um, So that's definitely something we're definitely looking forward to that launched today. So you can go over there right now and find it, patreon.com slash Fantrax Toolshed. Check it out. Uh, a couple of tier, different tiers of stuff that you get um, at different, you know, we have a $5 level, a $10 level, different stuff in each level that you can, you know, obviously everything at the $10 level you get um, along with the $5 level, but then a little bit more. So just a lot of good stuff in there. So definitely go check that out. And like I mentioned, we have another great episode here that we're looking forward to. But before we do that, the other housekeeping, you can find us on Twitter. Chris is at RotoCleg. I'm at Cross 4 and our show is at Fantrax Toolshed. Please subscribe to our podcast. Leave us a five-star review on iTunes or on your preferred podcasting platform. Those ratings and reviews mean a lot. And go over and check out that draft kit. It's adding multiple pieces every day. I think this week we got probably another 10 to 15 pieces we're adding in. Some cheap category articles like cheap speed, cheap power, cheap strikeouts, stuff like that. Some good late-round targets there all the team-by-team prospects that Chris and I are doing. Chris, I I believe you have Cincinnati this week. Is that right? I do. Yeah, that's correct. And I I will have Seattle out tomorrow. That's always a fun system with all those studs at the top. So check those out. And then check out the other great podcasts we have on the network, including Five Tool, SP Streamer, Triple Play, On Campus, Kick Around, Fantasy Hockey Life, and IDP. All right, Chris, let's get into the show here. Today's show is going to be about prospects to sell high. I mean, that's not the right word. Prospects to fade. Prospects where we want to get rid of off our teams that are sliding down our rankings. Whatever terminology you want to use, you know, sell high is the common one. I like to use fade more so because I still like some of these guys, but maybe not as much as others in the industry. We're going to go through a lot of names here. Uh, we're, we're going to try to get through 16 names, four from each of us for pitchers, and then another four from each of us for hitters. We'll start off with the pitchers here. Before we get into that, maybe a little bit of strategy here on when the best time to sell high on a prospect is. You know, for me, I've always kind of broken it down into three kind of main times. Number one being right after they've been drafted or signed. So we're talking like Torkelson guys, you know, Hassan Kim, the big international signings, guys like that. Guys that are about to debut, like you know their debut is imminent. Like a Jared Kellner. I'm not, he's not going to be in this 
<laughs> in this podcast tonight. Don't you worry. I'm not flipping on Jared Kalanick. But someone like that, That's we know their debut is right around the corner. And then the third kind of bracket grouping is the prospects that have debuted and excelled. Whether they were considered a top 10 guy, a top 100, a top 200, guys that debuted and excelled, that's the third time. Those, those are the times I really try to capitalize on my prospects and maybe sell high. Uh, but Chris, what about you? When, when are some of the times you try to sell high in your prospects? Yeah, it's a really finicky topic because, you know, you always run the risk of them taking off. Like, you right. know, and I'll regret this forever, but in my home dynasty league, I traded Soto the day that he was called up. And I Ooh. regret it ever since. I got, yep. All right, so I got back Joe Adele and Boba Shett. And so, you know, it's, it's okay. not terrible. It's not yeah, terrible. It's not- but would I t- take it back and keep Soto 100 out of 100 times? Yeah, of course, like knowing what I know now. But that's the risk you run. Like, you know, you could sell a prospect on that day they're called up when the value's really high, and they tank, and you look great. You know, that, that happens more often than not. Soto, Acuna, Tatis, they don't happen every day. We, we saw... You know, Joe Adele. Joe Adele came up last year and looked absolutely terrible. And so you run the risk there, but I think that's always a good time to sell, like the day they get called up. You know, there's a point when you hit prospect fatigue too, like when a guy's just sitting around too long and not getting a chance. Like we saw that with Kyle Tucker, how his value dropped so much last year because dominating AAA, like we know the talent was there, but the Astros weren't giving him a chance. We're seeing that with Gavin Lux right now. His values dropped pretty significantly. So just knowing that time is hard and it's hard to figure out when their value may be peak. And a lot of times the peak value for these guys is when they are prospects. A lot of them fail. A lot of them just become, you know, they get thrown by the wayside in the major league. And so it's really hard to know for sure. And there's no like right or wrong answer and you run the risk. But for me, like a lot of times I I think about like, could this be their peak value? Like a lot, some of the guys we're going to talk about today, is this their peak value and they're going to fade off? And it might be a good opportunity to sell. So I think it's kind of fitting to try to think about that and look at anything possible. Like, is there anything going the wrong way? Like, do you have some kind of inside knowledge on these guys that can help you? Like, there's going to be some guys that I'm going to mention tonight that are ranked very highly, but I'm concerned about. And so I think it could be a good time to get rid of them. So I think you got to think about those things when when looking to sell prospects. Definitely, and that, that's the the risk you run into with that last grouping that I mentioned, the ones that have debuted and excelled, is that you really have to try to figure out is what you know the stats they put up, the performance they had, how legitimate is that? Like Randy Rosarina, how legitimate is what he did? You know, as opposed to maybe Joe Adele, how legitimate is his struggles? That's the thing you gotta gotta try to figure out is the legitimacy of their performance, and then make the, your assessment that way. But with all that said, let's get into some prospects here. We're just kind of going to alternate, go back and forth. Chris, who's your first guy? Oh, and yeah, a lot of these are not going to be popular with people. I want to go ahead and, and pre-warn you, but my, my first guy that I think is a good time to sell on is Michael Kopech. Now, Kopech's extremely talented. We've known that. The fastball is one of the best in the minor leagues. He's performed at a high level in the minor leagues. He hasn't pitched since 2018. He he debuted, which you know, most people forget that he debuted back then. He threw 14 innings with the Sox, and he struggled a little bit to be expected. I'm not expecting every guy to come up and be an absolute stud. But, I mean, he pitched to a 502 ERA, a 616 fifth. But you look back, and, and you can forgive that. He was dominant in the minor leagues. I mean, absolutely dominant. The issue 
with him and what what I've struggled with with him is is his command. He's always struggled with walks. And it's kind of funny in that small sample, he posted the lowest walk rate of his career in 2018. He walked 2.9%. His walk rates had been improving, but not great by any means. You look you look at 14.2%, 12.3%, 11.1%. And sure, it was getting better, but those numbers aren't ideal at all. He can strike out a ton of guys, but I'm really afraid that he's going to be in the bullpen. We know that he's going to start the this year in the bullpen. So what happens when he starts the year in the bullpen and he's really good in the bullpen and he sticks there? I'm not saying that a bullpen guy could be not that valuable, but I'm kind of saying that Kopech's value right now is kind of hinging on him being a starting pitcher. I mean, he's got really good raw stuff, but he hasn't stayed healthy. We know he underwent Tommy John in 2018, September. It'll be nearly 30 months this spring since he was removed from Tommy John. He should be fully healthy. Last year, he opted out. He was dealing with things outside of baseball, which again is concerning. Like I've mentioned this on another podcast, like the the human element of the game that we don't think about. Uh, he he mentioned uh, mental health things that he was struggling with, and it led to him opting out. And this all factors in on the mound. And you never want to see people struggle with mental health, obviously, but it's a reality that we face as human beings. Like on the mound, if he's dealing with things like that, it's going to lead to him to struggle. Uh, we know that he's been working on some things this offseason. He could come in and compete for a job, but right now, I mean, they seem pretty set on starting in the bullpen. And so my biggest concern is just that fastball and slider really play up in the bullpen, and he sticks there long term. Now, his value is not like overly high right now, but most everywhere still considers him like a top 50 prospect. And I think now would be a decent time to sell before if he does stick in the bullpen, the value could tank even further. Or if he does continue to struggle with command, the value could continue to drop, which is why I'm recommending to sell him now because the value could get even lower. It could. You know, when we made that deal, the Red Sox made that deal to get Chris Sale, which was a great deal, but I my first initial thought was, all right, obviously losing Moncada, who was the slightly higher-ranked prospect at the time. I think he was actually number one or number two at the time in a lot of lists. That's going to hurt, obviously. But I was like, the what will the X factor, what this deal will hinge on long-term when we look back on it a decade or so down the road is what type of pitcher does Michael Kopech turn into? If he turns into that front-line guy, which is his ceiling, it's going to hurt, even though we won the World Series, and I will always make that deal 10 times out of 10. But if he if he falls off and he's just one of those like high K number four starters or or a bullpen guy like you mentioned, Chris, that'll be uh, making me feel a little bit better. But yeah, the range of outcomes with him is definitely definitely wide. Like there's there's a wide range more than more than most pitching prospects now. Uh, my first guy here is a guy I talked about yesterday on Potapalooza, Davy Garcia. I know this is kind of unpopular. There's a lot of people like Davy Garcia within this industry. But, you know, I'm going to stand by what I've seen here. And I'm not saying other people are wrong. Definitely not. I respect all the people that even like Davey Garcia. But just what I've seen, I have not been impressed, whether it was in my live look or a lot of the video I kind of have dig, dug into. Because I'll even say my live look at him was early in the season. It was cold. It was April in, in Maine. That's cold. It's rainy. It's usually freaking miserable. And I know Davey Garcia wasn't used to really pitching and really kind of that type of weather. Right. So can I give him a little bit of a pass there, but 
from what I did see, I dug in the video to see if on, uh, you know, an August start down in Virginia or something, was he showing the same things? And a lot of this, what I saw there backed up what I saw in my live looks. You know, first off, the positives here, he's talented. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, this is a disclaimer for everybody we're talking about. This does not mean we don't like them at all. But we're just basically saying guys that we like a little less than the, the industry. All right. So with Davey Garcia, I, there's definitely talent there, but I just worry about his longevity as a starter. And, you know, I, I mentioned his size on uh, Potapalooza. And, you know, some people are like, oh, size, schmize. But, and yes, to, to a degree, yes. And that kind of that lower release point is something that's kind of being more popular these days because of the movement you can get. But at the same time, like, it's not like he's 5'11", 6 foot. Now, he is 5'9", maybe even 5'8". I don't know if 5'9 is even accurate on baseball reference. But he's a small guy. So how many small pitchers like, like that small? have we seen be good for more than like a year or two, right? Like even Lincecum, who was the first name I thought of, just Tim Lincecum, he, he was listed at 5'11", which shocked me, but he was only, he had had really good a few years, and then he really kind of fell off, right? You know, the only one right now that comes to mind that I could think of was Marcus Stroman, who I think is 5'8", and he's been pretty good. But outside of that, you just haven't seen a lot of guys, uh, even even lately, so... That worries me. The fastball, I think, is fringe average. You know, there's decent enough movement on it, but the velocity is only 92 miles an hour on average, which isn't terrible. But the the one aspect of his fastball that worries me the most is the command. So, and I've seen him lose velocity in, into his starts as well. So he'll be more like 90-91 in the fifth, sixth inning. When he's pumping 92-93 in the first inning or second inning. So kind of all that runs fastball. It's a fringe average pitch, and he got hit pretty hard last year. The curveball, it's good. That's a potential plus curveball, no doubt about it. That's a beaut of a curveball. The changeup is maybe slightly above average. I don't know. I, I don't think it's be. I don't think it's a great pitch. I think it's maybe like I said a hair above average. But overall, this the sum of the parts here. I think he might have a good couple years to start, but I prefer a guy like Clark Schmidt more. I just worry about long-term what Davies would be three, four years in the road, or he might be a reliever. Who knows? Because his command has not been great throughout his minor league career. And I wonder, like, if he was in Pittsburgh or the Angels or I'm trying to think of, like, uh, the Mets or someone like that, would he be regarded as highly as he does? Like, we had talked about the Padres tax, which is a valid tax on prospects. They get their values pushed up. But I think there's a Yankees tax too. Not as not as much, but there's a Yankees tax too. So while the while the off speed pitches are, are pretty good, I just worry about that fastball. I worry about the size, the longevity. So I would try to sell him now before those things happen. And I might, you know, be totally wrong on this. He becomes a very good starter, and I'll eat crow that. I will fully do that. But I have my concerns. So that's why Davey Garcia is a guy I've been fading. Yeah, this one's going to be a fun one. And you think that Eric and I like to agree a lot? Well, this one we're going to disagree on. We're going to have some fun with. This guy that I am recommending to sell now is Nate Pearson. Boo, Chris, boo. (laughs) Eric loves Nate Pearson. (laughs) I've had my concerns with him. Uh, One, the injury concerns. I mean, you just – I think he's a ticking time bomb, honestly, like with how hard he throws the arm action. He had a, a flexor strain last year, which 
obviously is a little concerning. That doesn't help anything when you have a flexor strain in your elbow. He could stay fully healthy in 2021. I could be really wrong on this. But here's my concern. Again, like Kopech, the dude stuff just really plays up in the bullpen. Like Pearson could be the best closer in the game, which again, that's really valuable. But I'm looking at him as a starter. I think most people want him to be a starter. I mean, he's got the stuff. Again, there's no question. That fastball, I mean, it hits 100 miles an hour. It's really freaking good. The slider, potential double plus, that slider gets up to the mid-90s. That's a really good slider. The concern is that the curveball's not really there. The changeup's not there. Like, I think the changeup is improving. So don't get me wrong. And don't hear me and say that I don't like Nate Pearson. I just think I'm a little lower on him than most. And I think even despite his rough debut, last year that the value is still high enough where you can get something good for him. Like you could trade him and get a lot for him. We, we get a lot of questions on Twitter and it seems like the people are moving Pearson for, for good pieces right now. And if I can move Nate Pearson for a good win now piece, I'd absolutely do that because I am concerned that he's a bullpen risk. Uh, I'm concerned about the command. He hasn't walked a lot of guys. Like I'm not saying the control's bad, but his issue when he came up last year was leaving pitches up in the zone. He was just flamethrowing it, and he was getting hit. Like it, it affected him. He acknowledges that. He he came out and said that. He said he's working to improve his command this season. And he said this. He said in the minors, you can definitely get away with being a little erratic because velo can help you out at times. But he said, I've definitely learned that in the big leagues, you just can't throw it hard and spray it a lot. You've got to attack the zone and throw strikes and competitive pitches more often than not. So he at least acknowledges that. He's acknowledged that he needs to work on that command. Like, he could get away with that in the minor leagues. Like, he just blew the fastball by people. That slider just devastated people in the minors. But, again, I'll say it. It's a small sample. It was 18 innings. So it wasn't like we saw a huge sample of Pearson just getting roughed up. I mean, there's talent. There's no denying that talent level there. The strikeouts can be really good. Like he can post elite strikeout rates and the walk rates aren't bad either, but I'm really afraid that if he can't command those pitches better, it's going to hurt him in the long run. And again, if he doesn't develop the changeup, that two pitch mix, it could hurt him. And I just think that the stuff could really play up in the bullpen. He's going to listen. He's going to get every chance to be a starter. Don't hear me and think that they're going to put him in the bullpen this year. He's going to be a starter. They're going to give him every shot. But I'm afraid that this might be the most valuable he might be. The prospect fatigue hasn't worn in. People still value him as a high-end pitching prospect. You might can get a lot for him, and I would recommend on cashing out. But I know Eric's got an opposite view, so I'm going to let Eric rebuttal this, and we're going to have a little fun with it. <laughs> yeah, so I th- a lot of what you brought up is valid. You know, there's definitely some bullpen risk here. I'm not going to sit here and lie to everybody that there's no bullpen risk because then I'd be foolish because there definitely is. But I think I'm just not as concerned because outside of the kid, the flexor strain obviously is concerning. You know, we we know what that often leads to the you know TJS those those three words that nobody wants to hear when it's about a pitching prospect they have on their dynasty team. So that's definitely in the back of my mind for sure. And his stuff definitely would play up in the pen, but I I think I, like you mentioned he's gonna be given every chance to be a starter, and he's one of four current pitching prospects 
that I would definitely I say, all right, there's ace potential here. There's some that are like fringe, but there's four that I really think when I think of the word future ace, for the four that come to mind are Mackenzie Gore, Forrest Whitley, Sixto Sanchez, and Nate Pearson. Not even Matt Manning, Logan Gilbert. Those guys are like maybe fringe or number twos. But Pearson's one of those four I put as a guy that could be an ace. One thing I love about Pearson, outside of the Arsenal, which you mentioned the Arsenal, you know, the fastball and slider are elite. Curveball and changeup, I think, are around average, at least from what I saw. He has that bulldog mentality that I love, where he's like, he's almost like, that's why I love that his debut was against Max Scherzer. So I see a lot, I'm not, it's not a direct comparison, but it's like that bulldog mentality reminds me a lot of Max Scherzer, where it's like, all right, I know I have good stuff. Here it is. Try to hit it. I bet you can't. I love that. And a guy that I used to love a lot of, you know, years ago was Jake Peavy, that fire that he brought, you know, and Pearson isn't like really outwardly fiery like that. But, you know, I love his mentality. You know, he's always locked in. So I think, I think he's just going to be a lot of what you brought up is valid. Definitely. I'm just not as concerned long-term, like, also, the flexor thing, everything else has kind of been fluky, kind of nothing you worry about long-term. The, the comebacker off that broke his forearm, those types of things. So I'm all in on Pearson, uh, both this year and long-term, but um, that's enough rambling on that. Uh, my next person here, Tristan McKenzie, and he falls into that third bucket that I mentioned earlier the, of the guys that debuted and excel because he looked really good. You look at the stats in his in his debut last year with Cleveland. He made six starts and two relief appearances, totaling 33 and a third innings, to a 3.24 ERA, 0.90 WHIP, and you know well over a caper. And he had 42 strikeouts, right? And that's something outside of 2018, he had a, a good amount of strikeouts in the minor leagues while keeping his walk rate in check. You know, that's kind of been his best quality almost was the above average to plus command and control that he exhibited throughout his career, like right from the get go. That was like a thing. One of his best attributes, right? Even in rookie ball was, you know, his command and control and that's held true. But, and I hate going against a Cleveland arm. I almost feel like this is like going to bite me because, you know, all these Cleveland arms always find a way to be good because that's like arguably the best system for developing pitching or along with Tampa and, and the Dodgers. But I just, don't see him holding up and being one of those guys. Like, I don't think there's bullpen risk. I just think there's like multiple IL stints every year type of risk, right? Because the frame is very slight and it's not like he's at the point where I don't know if he's going to add any more bulk. Like he obviously can, but he hasn't. And he's been this type of string bean frame for forever. As long as I've seen him first time I saw him several years ago, back in like probably 2016 or so so he's always been that way and with the arsenal it's it's good it's not great like i don't think there's that one pitch i'm just like wow that's a that's an elite pitch that's you know his curveball is around plus that's probably his best pitch there but i think the fastball is a tick above average i don't know if i put 55 grade it's like what i I put in my notes is 50 plus where it's like slightly above 50 but i don't want to go to 55 on it and the same thing, his slider and his changeup are right there, too. They're probably on average pitches. So the curveball is the best. All these pitches are, you know, play up and are a little more effective because of that community control. But it's long term, I just worry if he's a starter. Like you look at his, his average fastball velocity and max velocity, you know, it 
basically went down every start. The average fast velocity in his six starts, 94.5, 93.3, 92.7, 92.4, 92.2, and then 90.7 in his last start. And you kind of saw that he knew that too. And his usage of his fastball went down as well. It was 67% in the second start, down to 48%. He used it less and less after that. So I think he, he even knew that. And like his max velocity was only 93 in his last start. So that's a full mile and a half below his average velocity in his first start. So that's worrisome. I think he's a solid pitcher long-term, but I wonder if he's one of those guys that just falls into that. What if like he's always injured? Like, Oh, this is the year. Oh, this is the year. Oh, this is the year. And all of a sudden it's like, all right, he's 33. When's that year coming? And maybe he has one or two of those where he stays healthy. But I think for the most part, he's going to be one of those guys. that's always like 40 innings here, 120 there, back down to 70. And that worries me. So I think he's, he's talented, but I just worry what he can give you over the full course of a full season. Yeah, 100% agree with that take. Uh, this is another one that might be controversial. Some He kind of fits the mold of some of the other guys I talked about, and that's Braylon Marquez with the Chicago Cubs. He might be the most risky of all that I've talked about to hit the bullpen, just like the others, like Kopech and Pearson. Dude's got a big fastball. Like He easily hits triple digits. He, he blows it by people. The command is just not good, like not there at all. And I think that some other factors really run into his bullpen risk. It's one, the fact that one, he's got a really awkward arm angle that I'm not sure is really sustainable as a starter. No, it could be. Uh, his delivery is kind of funky. I wouldn't say the delivery is very athletic or repeatable by any means. And all that leads to very inconsistent command. I think those things lead to some bullpen risk here. Now, he made his debut last year. He had not pitched above A ball or high A, and he came up and debuted. He got roughed up pretty good. I mean, he was hit up real nice in his outing. I mean, he did. He only recorded two outs, gave up five runs. It's okay. I mean, like, he was rewarded for a strong showing at the alternate site. Like, the Cubs rewarded him for that. It was on the final day of the regular season. They gave him a shot. Like, that was great. He's going to be vying for a shot in the rotation this spring. The Cubs, you know, really don't have a ton that's blocking him, I'd say. Like, he could definitely earn a rotation spot. But I do think that there's some risk here that he hits the bullpen. I'm, I'm not really loving the rest of the pitches. I mean, the slider's good. I think the changeup's developing. But overall, like, he's really got to develop those pitches or he could just really be a one-pitch guy with a fastball that struggles with the slider and the change. I'm not saying it's impossible, but what I am saying is that Right now, his value is still good enough where you can get a lot for him in a dynasty trade. Uh, we put out a tweet on Saturday asking about who was the second, who was your second ranked left-handed pitcher behind Mackenzie Gore, and a lot of people said Marquez. So that shows me where his perceived value is that you can still get a good return for him. And I just think that if the command doesn't improve, then he's going to end up in the bullpen. I don't think there's any way around that if he doesn't improve that. And so for those reasons, I'm suggesting that you sell Braylon Marquez high and get a good return while you can. You're going to sense a common trend here of the bullpen risk factoring into a lot of our picks, because obviously while we mentioned like an eight Pearson has a chance to be an elite closer or even the number one closer, obviously you'd rather have him as a top 20 fantasy starter than he would as a top five reliever. So that, that definitely factors into a lot of these guys and, especially with my next guy, I'm going to go Garrett Crochet. And he falls in. He, he excelled in his debut. 
I mean, maybe not statistically, but you saw him in the bright lights last fall, just pumping straight up cheddar, right? He was just hitting triple digits with every damn, I think like, what was it? 80 plus percent of his fastballs went over hundred miles an hour and he averaged like a hundred point one. So that right there, it's almost like the Rosarena effect on the, on the, on the, for the pitcher, you know, not to the same degree, obviously, but I wonder if Crochet is a starter long-term. I think a lot of people have that concern. I think for now, with where he was drafted by the White Sox, which I believe was 10th or 11th overall, I forget, one of those two spots. But with how they drafted him that highly, they're gonna. You better be sure they're gonna give him every chance to start. Like I don't think that you draft a guy that highly if you're like, all right, he's gonna be a reliever. Like, all right, then get that guy in the second or third round. But they're gonna give him a chance to start, but he doesn't have a lot of experience starting. Like only 13 out of his 36 appearances at um, Tennessee were starts. He had six starts in 2018, six in 2019, and then the one start in 2020, which he was probably gonna be a full time starter in 2020, but COVID shortened that, that season. He's got good stuff. Like we saw the fastball, triple digits. He's got a good slider. But I just wonder, you know, how the rest of the arsenal stacks up. I just wonder if where he's going to be long term. He's one of those guys that doesn't have he doesn't have terrible command or terrible control, but it's not great either. So I don't think that's going to be the reason why. Just having a guy like that where he could be a hater type, you know, an Andrew Miller type, you know, from a few years ago that could just come out and be, you know. Those well, that situational guy where I'm like, all right, I can use him to close here, or it comes in, in the seventh here if they get the other team has a couple, you know, big lefties coming up or something like that. Where I think he just could be more valuable in the long run as a reliever to the White Sox. And it's not like they have a you know a shortage of options either. Like the rotation is already pretty stacked. We talked about how Kopik's gonna be in the bullpen. You know, I think there's a better chance he's a starter long term, even though both are risky. So that's just really my concern here is is Crochet a starter long term and the value right now is, is pretty high. Everyone's kind of talking about him. We, and we got some of that, you know, those replies in that tweet you mentioned, Chris, where it's like, oh, you're forgetting Garrett Crochet. He's going to be great. I'm like, yeah, he could. Absolutely could. But I think right now his his perceived value is higher than the value I think he's going to produce. And I like him. Like, so don't get me wrong. I like Garrett Crochet. But I just think right now his value is a great time to sell. Yeah, and I think you what you mentioned is good. We're not hating on any of these guys hope you hear us out on that. Like these are all players that can be really good that we all really like, but sometimes it's better to sell high. And so here's my guy. And it was a former uh, player to be named later. And that's Shane Boz. Might be one of the, one of the best players to be named later in the trade. We, we know him of the, the infamous trade that sent Chris Archer to Pittsburgh and Tampa Bay just, uh, you know, absolutely robbed the pirates and got glass now and Meadows, and Shane Boz got thrown in there. You look at Shane Boz's numbers, and they're really good. Like, what he's done at the minor league level has been really good in his career. I mean, he owns a 3.60 ERA in 157 innings. Pretty good, right? So, the strikeout rate, pretty good. 9.4 per nine. Here's where my concern comes. His walk rate. His walk rate, 4.6 batters per nine. He hasn't kept a walk rate below 10% at any level. It's gotten better. It's improved, but he's at an awfully scary rate here. And I'm just concerned that if the command doesn't improve, then I don't know if he makes it. The thing is, his arsenal's really good. He's got a really good arsenal with a good fastball, curveball, and cutter. 
The changeup's really lacking, which I do think is a concern. Boz is much like these other ones. His fastball reaches triple digits. He does it with ease. The rest of his game is pretty unrefined, though. He's got a lot of work to do. And my other concern is just the Rays themselves. And I think there's kind of two sides to this. Sometimes when the Rays trade someone or trade for someone, everybody's like, well, what do they know? What do they know about this guy? Because they seem to win trades. But we also look at trades where they've lost. I mean, the Archer one, obviously, the, the best trade in history from that standpoint. But sometimes, I think, especially with starting pitchers, it's worrisome for me. Yeah, they've developed some pitchers. But at the same time, I'm really worried what they'll do with Boss. Like, what if he's like a, a opener for him that just dominates? What if he ends up in the bullpen? What if he's a three-inning guy? It's the same concern I have about Luis Patino. Like, what are they going to do with him? Like, they can make him a specialist at something, and it really affects his fantasy value. And that's my concern with, with Shane Boss is that this organization can ruin high-end starting pitchers. They can ruin the development of a high-end pitcher quick by putting them in a place where, yeah, it may benefit the organization, but it definitely doesn't benefit us as fantasy owners. And that's my concern with Shane Boz. And yeah, his value is not as high as some of these other guys I mentioned. Like he's a top 100 prospect, but I do think that his value could drop. And so for that recommendation, I'm I'm saying sell. I'm saying sell all day because what are they going to do with them? There's too many question marks here for me to continue to invest when right now you can trade them probably in a package and get some good win now piece. So for that reason, fading Boz. Yeah, and I hate to agree because I, I inter- we interviewed Shane Boz on Five Tool almost a full year ago, and I was like late March, early April. Great dude, very knowledgeable about pitching and just baseball in general. Like we, we're talking Pedro Martinez on uh, that pod too. So good dudes. So I, I hate to agree with with this. And I, you mentioned the one thing I was to bring up was just because the Rays trade for a guy, we got to remember. They're trading for him, and they have an idea of what that pitcher can be and what they want him to be and what role they want him in. So maybe they didn't acquire Shane Boz for, all right, we're going to have him as a full-time starter. You know, Maybe they view him as an opener or even a bullpen guy. We don't know that. So that definitely has to factor in just because, all right, the, the Rays got him. He's going to be great. He's going to be phenomenal, man. You know, he could be. You know, the upside's there, and the stuff is nasty, like you mentioned. But, yeah, it's what what role is he going to be used in and the fact that the Rays have so many other options. Like, I put out that tweet. With all the pitching talent they have, even after getting rid of Blake Snell, that have all – most of these guys have better chances to be starters than a Shane Boz does. So, yeah, definitely, definitely with you there, but I love that arm. He's just so electric, but – but a lot of kinks in that armor for sure. And I'm going to stay right here with the Tampa Bay and the guy that I have no bolt. There's no bullpen risk here at all, but there's role risk like Tampa Bay. How is he going to be used? Is he going to be an opener? And that's Brendan McKay. And I think he's a guy that he's got overvalued because you look at it, look at the stats that he's put up, but in general, like the arsenal is good. It's solid. Is it phenomenal? Is it great? Does it blow you away? No. Now, he's a four-pitch guy, fastball, curveball, cutter, changeup. And you look at, you know, the fastball is probably slightly above average pitch. You know, I think, especially when you factor in the command he has of it, right? That pushes it 
to maybe maybe it's not above average in terms of you know, maybe not velo or movement, but it is a above average pitch with all those things factored in, especially that command. The curveball is above average pitch. It gets good depth on that curveball, uh, good movement on it. So I think that's an above average pitch. Cutter can be. I think you know the cutter kind of he tries to overthrow it at times, and maybe he leaves it over the plate a little more than he would, and he probably should. But that when he's locating that cutter, especially you know running that in to right-handed batters on the hands. I think can be an above average pitch, but then the changeup is one that I'm not super high on that changeup. You know, he was kind of all over the place with it, command wise. I didn't seem like he had a great feel for it. Um, like you, you look at the, the contour chart on Savant, and it's kind of all over the place. Left a lot of them high, and he didn't he didn't use it that much either. So he only used it 3.6 percent. Didn't throw it at all to lefties. There's only to righties. That's another thing too. Like, and it, there's not a lot of velo separation. It's about seven miles an hour of loss separation, which is okay. Um, from his fastball, but you know, and it didn't get hit hard. Like, that's not the issue. Like, you look at the metrics; it had a 167 batting average against. But again, he didn't seem like he had a good feel for it. And he's another guy that against righties, he's one of those two pitch guys for the most part. Where he he's throwing like about 80 percent of his pitches against uh, righties were fastball, curveball. So. Or, or something. I'm, I'm just kind of doing some math here in my head, but he's another one of those guys where, you know, against lefties, he doesn't throw the changeup at all. You know, he's mostly fastball, mixes in the curve cutter a little bit. So I don't know. I just, I just wonder, and with all the injuries he's had already, he's missed, he hasn't pitched much over the last couple of years and wouldn't have pitched last year. He had the surgery, he's had multiple arm issues. So I just wonder if he's kind of destined to be in that kind of that role they've had Ryan Yarbrough and um, yeah, they got uh, Yanni Chirinos in where it's like, all right, he's throwing, he's an opener or pitching a few innings out of the pen. He comes in when one of the starters gets, you know, rocked and out of, out of the second inning. I think I see him in that role more than a guy like, all right, he's going to be five, six innings every start for the most part and get you 160 plus innings a year. That could happen, but I just, I think with the, how the Rays are, I think he's, Gonna be one of those guys that fits into that multi-inning role. They can use him wherever. He can start. He can pitch the first, second, and the third. He can pitch the fifth, sixth, and seventh, something like that, uh, which is valuable. I think he'll still get a, you know 100 plus innings a year. So I'm not saying he's not gonna have fantasy value, but he's not an elite arm in my mind. But it's a steady arm, a guy that will still have fantasy value. But I don't think he's gonna be one that's gonna be a guy that you're kind of building your dynasty pitching staff around. Unfortunately. Let's go ahead and take a quick break here as we're through the pitchers. We'll come back on the other side and give you eight more, and we'll go to hitting now, so stick with us. Want to create a breakthrough gene therapy or life-saving vaccine? Pioneer Aerospace Excellence? Take your hospitality tech brand international? Montgomery County, Maryland is where you can do all that and more. Use our ideal location next to D.C. Diverse world-class talent and our vast business resources to be the next company to make your mark and transform the world. Visit bnext.thinkmoco.com. That's bnext.thinkmoco.com to learn how we can help you create something remarkable. All right, welcome back from the break. Getting into hitters now, we get eight more names for you, as I mentioned, going into the break. And Chris will lead us off with a name that he doesn't like very much. <laughs> and I know, I am I am officially this guy's hater in the community. Hater Mauricio. Hater aid, man. I don't hate Ronnie Mauricio. I just have legit concerns about the power developing. I mean, you look at him, I saw him several times live in 2019. He was 
here in Columbia, South Carolina. I mean, every bit of his power right now is just pure projection. It's projection on a frame that he will grow into and tap into that power. I mean, he's listed at 6'3", 166. So, yeah, many think that he's going to tap in the power. Many think that he has plus power, and I don't see it. I just don't see it. I mean, the approach, not really good. I think they the Mets kind of rushed him a little bit, and it hurt his development. His numbers weren't great at all. I mean, they haven't been great at any stop that he's had. I mean, he played a full season in Columbia in 2019, and he slashed 268, 307, 357, a 665 OPS, four home runs, six stolen bags. He was caught to the nine, the frame. I think the frame has some projection. I think he could grow into some power, but I do have concerns about his ability to really tap into that. And what does his future look like as a fantasy prospect, at least? Like in real life, I think he can be good. Solid shortstop, got a decent arm on him. I think he can stick there and be a good real-life player. But for fantasy purposes, just not fully buying into that. I think he's just an average hitter with average power. And I think the speed tapers off if he does add power or add strength to his frame. So I'm just not seeing this big-time fantasy like asset that some people are seeing. And so I'm selling. The value's good enough. I mean, he's ranked high on some list. I think you can get a good return for him. And I do that because I'm not going to claim that I was the first to be low on him, but I've noticed others had begin to drop him. And so sell him now before others move him out of the top 100 because I think you can still get a decent return on him. Some people are still buying the hype, so I just recommend doing that with Mauricio. Buying the hype is is everything, really. That's a, a lot of what goes into the trading prospects, whether you're trading them or trading for them. A lot of that goes into whether you buy the hype or not. And that's especially true with Mauricio and maybe even more true with the guy I'm going to talk about here. That's Jason Dominguez of the Yankees. The problem with with Dominguez is like Chris, you mentioned some good stats, right? Some good metrics, some good stats. We don't have that with Dominguez. We have nothing on Dominguez. He has not made one swing in a professional game. All we have is Twitter videos. Which obviously, you know, we can't see every prospect. So a lot of stuff we we go off of his videos online on Twitter, YouTube, whatever. But we don't have any game video of Jason Dominguez, and the freaking comparisons on this kid are out of control. Another one, he's a Yankee. Would he still be overhyped if he was on Kansas City or Texas? Sure, but that even gets elevated because he's a Yankee. And he gets he gets comp to Mickey Mantle and Mike Trout and uh, who was the other one in that? I uh, was it, no, it wasn't Willie Mays, but um, there was this like th- oh uh, Bo Jackson was that third one from that tweet like a month or so ago by one of the MLB accounts. And obviously they went. To, I'm glad they're trying to pump up their young players. It's something they haven't done a lot of. But wow, those three comps are two Hall of Famers and two of the best players to ever play the game and the best player we've seen in the last 10 or so years, and a guy that's less something drastic happens. I think he's already almost a lock for the Hall of Fame with how dominant he's been. We've seen it calm down, but you see, and I ranked him highly, too. He's in my top 15. I think he's 13th or 14th right now in my overall top 300. But that's off of, you know, that's trade value right there. And I've gotten rid of Jason Dominguez in a few leagues. And I highly recommend everyone else does too, especially if you can get great return for him, which is what we're talking about here. Is you obviously 
get good return on all these players, I think you can get a very pretty penny if you're trading just on the main guys, whether that's for more, you know, more prospects, or if you're using him as a piece to get a win now piece where you can go out and get a really good player for you that can help you right now, where even if yeah, there's a chance that Jason Dominguez turns into a freaking stud. There's obviously that chance. You know, he's got the tools, he's got the power, he's you know, he's got the speed, he's athletic, but we just haven't seen him hit. We don't know if he might be a guy that flows out at single A. We don't know. We haven't seen him pit, you know, face live minor league pitching, which is the issue here. So yeah, he could turn into a stud and be, you know, a t- early round of fantasy asset down the road, but he's not a guy where he was signed a good what? 20 almost 19 20 months ago at this point in july of 19 and we still haven't seen him in game action yet because of covid so that's crucial time that him and eric pena and robert poisson all these bayron laura all these guys from that class are losing and that's another thing too so i'm not saying he's gonna be bad but we just everyone i think is just like anointing him as the next huge thing and we don't we have no idea if he's gonna be that and that's another thing uh, he got brought up on on uh Potapalooza on our prospect segment and Ralph kind of echoed some of that too, where we just don't know. And I think that's the reason why the element of the unknown, which is why a lot of people love about him is what could be. We also look at what could be on the other end of that spectrum too. So I would go out and start to get, get top return for him now because even in a year or so, we could be talking about a guy that, yeah, he could be submitting himself as a top 10 prospect, or he could be a guy that we're, just dropping down our rankings because he has a really bad first showing. So I think there's a, a good chance, even if he's a good player, that right now could be his highest value you'll ever see. Yeah, I definitely agree. The value is very high. This is with the case with this guy. That's Christian Robinson, who I'm fading, who may have some of the loudest tools in baseball. I think there's potential double-plus raw power. There's plus speed. But my concern is the hit tool. And in the past, I would be all in on a guy like Robinson. But as I refine my process, like I'm beginning to fade these guys with poor hit tools a lot. And that's Robinson. Robinson's hit tool struggles. He struggles to make consistent contact. And then we have the case where this past year he showed up. One, he showed up late. He had trouble getting back in the country during the pandemic. Understandable. Uh, He got to Arizona a little overweight. Then he really slimmed down his diet. He got on a big cardio program, and he lost a ton of weight. So he fluctuated pretty quick. And then this winter, it's been reported that he's added again. He's added 25 pounds of of muscle. I even think there's some concerns that he could outgrow the outfield. Like, yeah, he's a physical specimen or could be. The tools are really, really loud with this guy. But again, I am just very concerned with his hit tool and how it's developing or will it develop. And if it doesn't come around, he's not going to tap into those. We're never going to see Robinson really tap into his tools. In a league that Eric and I both play in, a 30-team league, Eric traded Christian Robinson straight up for Chris Bryant. Yeah, Bryant's faded a little bit. But Bryant's also proved and been an MVP. He's competed at the highest level and shown that he can perform at the highest level. And even what we considered a down year for Bryant in 2019 was really, really good. Dude still hit 30 home runs, still hit for solid average, and that was a down year. So I'm telling you, this guy's got value, 
and people like the tools. People love to dream on these big, loud tools. So you can get a lot for Christian Robinson. I would definitely say sell him if you can. I And I could be wrong. If I'm wrong and the hit tool develops, Duke could be one of the best prospects in baseball and end up being a high-end asset. But if he doesn't develop the hit tool, it could fade off and, and be a nobody. And you hope that that's not the case. We don't hope that on any prospect. But there are risky things here in the profile. And so that's why I'm saying sell Christian Robinson, get peak value. Yeah, I, I think that's becoming those concerns are being brought to the forefront recently. And that's something I brought, I mentioned in the article that I'm finishing up right now is that the hit tool kind of drives everything, right? You can have, you could be 70 power, 70 speed and have 35, 35 upside. That's all great and all. But if your hit tool is below average, you might not fully, you know, get into that power and speed, or you might not even make it. You know, like I've seen, they look at like first thing that comes to mind is Celia Matisse of the Kansas City Royals. Huge power. The guy can hit the ball out of any stadium anywhere, but the hit tool just sucks so bad. I don't even know if he ever makes it to the major leagues, to be honest with you. So hit tool drives everything. That's something I've, you know, been factoring in a lot more into my rankings. Um, the guys I'm fading down are low hit tool guys. The guys I'm rising up are, are higher hit tool guys. So that's definitely something definitely to look look for in prospects. A little tidbit there. I think we both echo this. Look for the good hit tool guys. You know that can fully get to that power and speed more so than the guys that are you know lower hit tools. Like I said, give me. I will take a 55 hit, 55 power guy over a 45 60 any day of the week. And I think that 55-55 guy could even hit more home runs than the 45-60, even though that guy might have more raw power, but the hit tool will, you know, maybe subtract some power, in-game powers, because he can't get to that power fully. So definitely a good pick there. Uh, mine is a guy that I've come around on a little bit, but I think the the value of him is still to the point where I'm not going that high, and that's Cabrian Hayes of the Pittsburgh Pirates. First off, look at what's around him in Pittsburgh. It's garbage. It's absolute garbage. And I don't know if it gets better anytime soon. Yeah, Pittsburgh system is on the rise overall, but they don't have a lot of elite prospects. And a lot of the guys you're excited about in that system, for the most part, are on the pitching side of things. Yeah, they got like, you know, Nick Gonzalez and stuff, but they need those guys to like really fully capitalize on them and reach their upsides because. Like I said, Pittsburgh is a small market team. They don't go out and sign a lot of these big name or any big name free agent for the most part. Yeah, they'll get some smaller, like those two year deals, three year deals, maybe. But for the most part, Pittsburgh's one of those teams that needs to hit on development to have that good little window where then it'd be good for a few years, right? Kind of like Kansas City. They need to hit hit on their prospects like they did. And when they went to you know the World Series and uh they hit this when like Mustakis came up and Eric Hosmer came up and guys like that. That's a Pittsburgh is a, that same type of team. They need to have these guys come up, and that's just risky. You know, it doesn't happen. Like it happens once every decade for a year or two. And in Pittsburgh, I just think that lineups is always gonna be bad around him for the foreseeable future, where he's already the best hitter in that lineup. Like maybe you can argue for Colin Moran or something like that, but you know, there's not a lot of talent there. So there's not a lot of for fantasy, not a lot of runs in RBIs. I don't think he's a even sniff 80 of either, to be honest with you, even hitting in the middle of that order. And I just don't see huge power speed. Like, he's one of those guys where he, he should be a very good real-life player for a long time. He factor in this defense, 
like he's he's one of those kind of five tool players where it's not like he has the elite tools, but he can do everything well, especially defensively. And he saw it at the plate as well, but I don't see a 300 average coming. I don't see 25 to 30 bombs coming. I don't see 20 to 25 steals coming. Well, I think he could be like 280, maybe upper teens home runs, and I think maybe he'll settle in as like a 12 to 15 steal guy. That's solid, but I just don't think he's going to be the next like top third base that we're drafting in our fantasy league. So I think it's all that where he's going to be solid, but I think he's being valued as being more than solid. I just don't see that next level, right? And I think he uh, came out and dominated his rookie year. Like People were talking about him getting rookie of the year, even though he only had like, what, 70-something out of bats. So I think right right now is a great time. So everyone's buzzing about him. So even in redraft leagues, ADP is pretty high. So there's a lot of good buzz around him right now. So right now in dynasty leagues, this would be a great time to capitalize on that and sell him. As is this guy I am talking about, who is the most obvious sell high <laughs> in the book, in my opinion. That's Randy Rosarena. I think a Rosarena can be a good player. I'm not denying that. I do think that he has the talent and skills to be a solid power speed combo, but there are concerns here and the hype is insane. Yes. He had a great run to end the regular season. Yes. His postseason run was historic and prob and I'll go say it. The only reason the Rays made it to the world series was because Randy Rosarena was that stinking good. And he was, but there's some concerns here and there's some concerns. I think that we're just ignoring and one is the swing and miss potential. I mean, you look at guys that their potential to swing and miss and strike out a lot, and you look at O contact, and Randy Rosarena had some of the worst out-of-zone contact in baseball. You look at zone contact, it was pretty poor too. I mean, zone contact, 75%. Yeah, I mean, sure, it's okay, but it's not that great. Like, they're swing and miss in the zone, which is concerning. Rosarena's also shown that he's been streaky in the past. Like he's been a streaky dude. So that does leave some concerns and overall contact rates, not good at all. You look at the overall contact rate of 64.7% and only several players had worst overall contact rates. And that would have placed him. Let's see ninth worst contact rate in baseball last season, if he had qualified. So I do have some concerns there. He's streaky. Like I mentioned, he, struggled sometimes to hit pitches in the zone. And yes, I won't deny the fact that he could have completely changed everything. We know we know the story, the chicken and rice story. He changed his body. He did push-ups all day in quarantine, yet we know that. So it's possible he changed? Absolutely. But I'm just not sure if I'm buying in on him as a 28 to 30 home run bat and a 20 steals guy. And so I just think the value's too good to pass up selling him. Someone in your league's going to really overpay. And I'd much rather get a proven asset that's done it year over year. Yeah, a Rosarine is still fairly young. I mean, he just turned 26. Actually, as we're recording this right now, it's his birthday. So happy birthday, Randy Rosarina. But I don't know. I just think that you can get way too much for him to, to hold on to him right now in a dynasty league. And I'm not going to be one going out to acquire him. But the chances are someone in your league is. And someone in your league is all in on him. Go get him, man. I just don't think he's going to steal as many bases as we think. I don't think he's going to hit as many home runs as we think. And maybe the average isn't what, we're, what we think either. And yeah, I think a 270, 260 type hitter that can hit 20 bombs and steal 15 bags is valuable. 
certainly. But what you can get for him in return right now, it's in too obvious of a sell high to not do it, in my opinion. So that's why I'm recommending to do it because the value is too good to pass up. And I don't think the value getting higher on him. Yeah, I think it'd be hard to get higher on the value right now. But yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. And like we, we like we've mentioned, it's not that we don't think he's to be good. It's that his value is a lot higher right now than it, it maybe it should be because of what happened at the end of last season. So definitely, like just go out and throw Rosarina on the trade block. You don't have to even go out and be like, "Hey, do you want a Rosarina?" I actually. I actually don't recommend that because maybe like, oh, why are you trying to get rid of him? Do you think he's not as good? Just throw him, you know, every league where you're fan, you should be on Fantrax, whether you're on Fantrax, Yahoo, ESPN, CBS, NFPC, there's a trade block there. Just throw in your trade block. See what happens. All right. Just see if what you get for offers rolling in because you could be surprised that someone might just be, you get an offer, you're like, wow, I got to accept this right now before this other person realizes their mistake. So, yeah, definitely agree with that. Uh, my next person is he fits into that first bucket I mentioned that was recently drafted, recently signed, and that's Hasyang Kim of the Padres. I just wonder how good is he going to be? Like, obviously, he was very good over in Korea. He had 133 home runs and 134 steals over 891 games, and last year over there. He hit 306 with 30 home runs, 109 RBI, 111 runs scored, and 23 steals. So you look at the numbers, you're like, wow. And he had more walks and strikeouts, too. You know, you're just like, wow, he's a really good player. But the track record of these guys coming over from Korea has not been good. And I was kind of looking earlier, digging in, like, all right, who are some good Korean guys that came over from Korea in the KBO? First one I thought of, okay, Chin Chu Chu. Pretty good career, right? Yes, it was a solid career for Shinsu Chu. It, it was a good hitter for you know, the last decade or so. I forget when he came over, but good hitter. And after that, I was like, I couldn't think of anyone else that was like clear number two ahead of like Jung Ho Kong, you know, who I think he had like one year where he showed a lot of power, but and obviously he had the off the field stuff as well that kind of derailed things, but he just wasn't good outside of like one small showing. So and then you get on the pitching side of things, you have like Hunjin Ryu. Then you get into like the Chan Ho Parks of the world. So, and Byung-Yung Kim. So, you know, especially for hitters, like it's Shin Chu Chu, and that's about it. And I have said that I think, you know, that Kim could have a smoother transition. He's not old, he's 25. So he's still kind of like in that physical peak that we look at for players. And he's a guy that has shown a good plate approach over there in Korea. Where he actually he walked more than he struck out last year, and he's never been a big strikeout guy. And for the most part, he's been right around nine to eleven percent walk rate. So that's good. All things that you like to see with these players coming over and trying to make that transition to Major League Baseball, which is the highest level of baseball on this planet. And you know, everyone can kind of compare his KBO to kind of like Double A. So I'm not saying he's going to be bad, but especially for this year, we don't know what the playing time is going to be like. Yeah, they signed him, so they're going to play him. But is every day when they have Jerkson Profar and Jake Cronenworth that are kind of like similar types of players, who knows? Maybe he only gets 120 games or so, or 450 player appearances, or something like that. So that kind of hint, you know, kind of takes his value down a notch this year. It's long-term. I just wonder if he's ever going to live up to the hype that he has right now, where everyone's like, oh, he's, he's the latest you know, new thing come over overseas. So I think you can still get a pretty solid return for him. 
the hype has kind of slowed down a bit from when he first signed, which is probably the peak time you should have traded him if you had him already in dynasty league or you, you, you know, you drafted him in your first year player draft or international draft, however your league works. But I think you can still get a pretty solid return now. Someone that you can feel safer about long-term on your team. So yeah, I would definitely be looking entertaining offers for Hashan Kim right now. Yeah, for sure. And this last guy that I'll wrap up with kind of fits the similar mold of other guys that I've talked about that have the tools, but their hit tool is just kind of lacking. And that's Jazz Chisholm, who hit the first home run of spring training this year, actually, earlier today. So we're recording this on Sunday. But again, Chisholm has the tools. He's got a ton of raw power. He's got good speed, like definitely plus speed, in my opinion. But the hit tool was just a big question mark. Might be even more of a question mark with him than it is like Christian Robinson. And Chisholm was traded. It was a weird trade where he was traded straight up for Zach Gallon. Rarely do we see like a straight up prospect for prospect trade. So that was kind of interesting. And he had come off a season in Arizona where, yeah, it looked really good. So in 364 plate appearances, hit 18 home runs. He stole 13 bags. Like, that's encouraging and all, but he he was hitting 204 and he struck out nearly 34% of the time. And that, if you don't know, is not good. Like that would be one of the worst strikeout rates in baseball. Bad. And then so he comes over to Miami in 2019. And in AA, things looked a little different. Like he looked like a different person. And he only he dropped a strikeout rate to 25.5%. And there was word like they were working on with his hit tool. Like, yeah, that was awesome. And he hit 284. It was a small sample, just 94 plate appearances, like I said. But Chisholm looked improved. And then he came up last year. And yeah, maybe he wasn't ready because he was only 22 years old. And he had not played above double A, but he looked lost. He just looked really lost. And he hit 161. He struck out 30.6% of the time. Yeah, I mean, the tools are really loud. But if the hit tool doesn't develop, then I'm just really concerned that the strikeout rate stays way too high and he could find himself like on the bench in a platoon and he's going to be competing for a job. Like obviously off to a good start, hitting a bomb in your first spring training game. Pretty good start when you're competing for the second base job. He's competing with John Birdie and Isan Diaz. Hard to say if he wins it or not. But again, most are still valuing Chisholm as a top at least 50 prospect. And again, that could fade really quick. I mean, if the hit tool doesn't come, that value is going to drop like a rock. And so I think people are still, you know, kind of pushing aside that small sample of his major league debut. It's a weird year. He only saw 62 plate appearances. People are pushing that aside. The value is still good. And if you're in an OBP league, like you can kind of look past this a little bit because Chisholm walks at a really high rate. But an average league, I'd definitely be looking to sell right now because I do fear that it could get worse. Yeah, for sure. Uh, he's he's a great one that I'm trying to sell in my dynasty leagues as well. Like I said don't like the hit tool. Maybe he gets better and he taps into that power speed full time or full you know, all the time. But who knows? It, it's it's I think it's a better chance that he's you know underperforms expectations than overperforms with that hit tool and the strikeout woes for sure. My last guy, I go, got to go down the Chris's neck of the woods here. The Atlanta Braves, Drew Waters. He's a guy that every time I update my rankings, he's 15, 20 spots lower when I get done with it. I just keep sliding him down, and I think he's still going to be a decent player, but he's kind of like my Ronnie Mauricio, where I just don't see some of the tools that others do. And maybe I'm 
I mean, if I'm wrong on this and he turns into an all-star caliber outfielder because that's his upside, but I just don't see it. And a lot of what that circles around is, for me, the platoons, the issues, and the uh, the power, right? So you look at, I kind of looked at just 2018 and 2019 for um, his lefty and righty splits here because, you know, I looking at his full years and kind of like full season affiliated ball, right? So as a lefty, he is a 320 hitter, right? A hair under 40% of his hits have gone for extra bases. 13 of his 16 home runs over the last two years were from the left side. Walk rate was 6.9%, K rate 24.8%. From the right side, 249 hitter, only 33% of his hits went for extra bases, only three out of his 16 home runs. The walk rate was down to 4.8% and the key rate 26%. And when he got up to AAA and the tail end of 2019, and yeah, it was a small sample size. It was only 119 plate appearances, but he had a 36.1% K rate at that level. Really struggled. And you can't look at look at the overall numbers. They're pretty good. He's a 298 career hitter in the minor leagues over 1,295 plate appearances. I just don't think he's going to be that. I think... If he's going to continue to switch hitting things, he probably will. He's probably more of a 270-ish guy, I think. And as I think you're going to see with his approach and those split issues where that's not going to get better. You know, it, it could. He could improve, but that usually does not get better at the major leagues where the lefties are usually pretty damn good. So I think this is going to be a huge issue where I don't think he's going to be a 249 hitter uh, as, as a righty. In the major leagues, it's, pro- it's probably going to get worse. And this will drop the average down. And I just, in the power, I just don't see it. And that's, that goes above just the home run numbers. He's been mostly a fly, uh, lower fly ball guy for the entirety of his career. At no level has he ever had a fly ball rate above 34%. Like his highest is 33.7%. That's way back in rookie ball in his debut back in 2017. Last year, he was 29.1% at double A. 21.2% at AAA and the ground ball rates have all been between like 45 and 55%. So that the swing path, I think that I think he needs a mechanical adjustment to unlock that power where he could be, he's flashed above average to plus raw, but I don't know if he's more than a fringe average in-game power guy without an adjustment, which could be made. But at this point, I think he's more of like a mid teens home running guy at most right now. And there's solid speed there as well. So he could be, 15 home run, 20 steal guy or something like that. But that might be best case scenario with a kind of a middle of the road average. So I just, I just don't see it. I think, and another thing we have to factor in here, where does he fit? If the NL, if the DH does not come to the NL full time, where does he fit in? Because obviously you got Ronald Acuna at one outfield spot. You got these retired Marcelo Zuna. There's two. He was, I think with a four year deal. So there's two with the DH. Yeah, he can move there, but if there's no DH, which we have to assume we have to go for what we have right now. So there's two spots. And then in center field, I think the Braves value Christian Pache more because of his stellar, the underrated aspect of this game in general. And I think even if he shows to be an adequate hitter, just hitting like 250, I think he'll keep that job. Even if waters might be a slightly bit higher upside hitter, I think Pache is the better overall player. That's what they're looking at. Obviously, they don't give a crap about our fantasy teams. You know, they give a crap about winning games. And Pache, I think, gives them a better chance to win more games long term. So where does Waters fit in? 
Maybe he's traded, you know, to get another arm. Who knows? But there's no spot where he can really move to. So you got to hopefully end on DH, or he might be kind of sticking around as a part-time player or AAA for, you know, the foreseeable future. So another thing I worry about there. So kind of all those things together is the reason why I've been fading Waters. Another guy I dealt in that 30-team league that Chris mentioned earlier. This past offseason, in my flurry of deals, they get more win now pieces. So, I definitely would recommend selling Drew Waters right now, wherever you can. But that's going to wrap us up. That was a lot of good players. I think we talked about 16 total players, a little bit of strategy. So, we hope this was informative. Maybe if you have some of these players on your roster, maybe you don't agree with us, that's fine. But maybe, you know, it opens your eyes or gives you something to think about. And maybe you do try to sell high and capitalize. That's, not, that's what we're trying to do. Like we mentioned, we're trying to help everybody here. You know, be as helpful as we can. That'll be started that Patreon. Again, check that out. Patreon.com slash Fantrax Toolshed. We'll be back again next week, obviously, with, with the kind of the other side of this talk, this discussion, and some buy low players that you can get. And we have a great guest coming on, Ralph Lifshitz from Prospects Live. So definitely tune in for that. One of the most knowledgeable prospect minds in the business, hands down. Love Ralph. So check him out. And we'll be back next week for that. But until then, take care. The following is an actor portrayal. With Kindly Assisted Living and Memory Care at Asbury Methodist Village in Montgomery County, you can anticipate more. But don't take our word for it. My dad moved to Kindly and loved it. His apartment was spacious, sunny, and overlooked Parkland. It was a great comfort to me to see him always smiling and involved in the life at Kindly. Enjoy quality on-site nursing and rehab services, too. Visit kindly at asbury.org today. Equal Opportunity Housing Provider. 